Didn't even know that could move. Uh, in case some of y'all were out, we have an announcement to make. My uh, girlfriend and I are now engaged. Thank you very much. Um, yes, so as a, as a fun thing, I proposed a couple weeks ago on a Thursday, and um, as, as a preacher, I met her at her church, of course, where else would a preacher meet someone, um, and then um, that's where we'll get married, so I proposed at her church as well. Um, so after the proposal, we went back to my folks' house and celebrate with uh, family and have champagne and food and um, my brother even came in um, for the occasion from out of town, so it was fun to have everyone together and you have this wonderful opportunity to uh, be with friends and family and celebrate uh, this this nice occasion. And um, and then after that, you get to start planning the wedding, which is not necessarily always as fun uh, as a celebration of the engagement. Um, so I'm starting to live into this reality of what this is like and learning about uh, the joys of communicating between um, different people and different genders and uh, it turns out men and women don't necessarily communicate and think the same things all the time um, which I have discovered two weeks into this endeavor um, so uh, this week uh, we started to talk about the guest list and my fiance asked me um, long ago to start preparing a list uh, to which in my mind uh, that looks like kind of chicken scratch in an app on my phone, which is very shorthand. So it might be first names, it might be last names, it might be nicknames. And it, it kind of, it's like you need a cipher to figure it out. Um, so she comes to me this week and says, do you have your list? To which I am excited, I've done my homework, and I say, yes, I have my list. And I show it to her, and it turns out a girl's version of a guest list is different than than a guy's version of guest list. And she looks at me like I'm insane, um, which is a look I'm starting to get used to. So <laughs> she it's a, so she shows me her list, and it turns out a girl version of a list is, first of all, not in a random note app on your phone. It's in an Excel spreadsheet, which is very neat and orderly. And there's headings and columns and specific things go on specific columns and they don't get mixed and matched. And so um, so with this new assignment, I set off um, on this new journey to create a, what I would call a girl's list. Um, so um, Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. So on, um, on, so we, we had this conversation on Friday. So Saturday um, is my day of kind of respite from the world. So I sleep in, which is a big luxury for me. I'm a night owl, not a morning person. So that's kind of my day to recharge. I, I wake up. I listen to worship music. I have prayer time. I journal. I usually do laundry. But essentially, other than that, I don't do it much and don't really leave the house. And I kind of put it into neutral and recharge my batteries. So um, after this a joyous conversation on Friday um, in reflection on the words of our Lord. And if you obey my commands, you will love me or some order of that. I got up early on Saturday morning, much earlier than I normally do, and uh, cracked open my Excel spreadsheet on my computer and got to neat and orderly work of a, a, a girl's list of invitations. So 
Um, I have a few things I've learned from this week that I'd like to share with you. First of all, there's many websites on the web that talk about how to address invitations properly. Um, and it's always fun to call your friends to find out who's finished their doctorate yet and who hasn't and how they prefer to be addressed and if they've taken their friend, their husband's last name or not. And um, it's a great way to spend a Saturday. Um, so, um, but, but in, in these past couple of weeks, there's been uh, the receiving of great news and joy. And in response to that, great celebration with friends and family. And, um, and, and then there's, there's been uh, communications and miscommunications and the joy of me getting to respond in uh, what I will call in martyr fashion, sacrifice, uh, you know, the hardships of modern day living. So um, all in a couple of weeks, the celebration of, of this joyous occasion, the sacrifice of my Saturday. So um, that's a little update on me. Now we'll get to the sermon. Uh, I, I promise it'll, it'll, it'll tie in later. Um, our scripture this morning, uh, uh, we're going to be talking about worship when we start in Exodus 20, which uh, is the Ten Commandments. But I want to take you back before that uh, to set the stage. Um, so we know uh, the Israelites are under great oppression in Egypt and they're, um, uh, they're crying out to the Lord in their misery. And the Lord has heard their cry. Um, and remember, Moses was part of Pharaoh's court, um, kind of in a sense adopted into this um, this kind of royal family in a sense, and he has access to all this type of stuff. And now he's uh, discovered who he was and, you know, kills an Egyptian and has this identity crisis and runs away like we all do so well and ends up in the desert. So that's where we pick up with Moses in Exodus 3. He's out in the desert and he comes across the burning bush. The bush is on fire, but it's not consumed. And this is where we meet him in verse 9 with God speaking to Moses. So hear now the word of the Lord. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then he continues on later in the chapter. God says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Um, so, so what God is setting up for Moses here, even before all this begins, is I've heard the cry of my people, and I want to set them free to bring them out of this bondage of slavery and oppression so that they can worship me. So he goes on in Exodus chapter 4. God is saying to Moses, then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. See, there's this call to worship that he gives. And then again in Exodus five, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us now. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God, where he may strike us with plagues and with the sword. And we know how the story unfolds. Uh, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. God's hand is more powerful. Uh, The plagues come. Pharaoh tries to respond with his power. God responds 
with God's own power, and that power overcomes Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and the Israelites are delivered. Um, But I want to highlight this morning as we talk about this that the focus of why God is delivering his people and responding to their cry is to set us free so we can worship. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. God coming to us to set us free so that we can worship him. Um, Our own Daryl Smith studied at a school of worship in Florida to get his Ph.D., uh, a school that's led by a man who's dedicated his life, who dedicated, he's passed away, to, to the study of worship and celebration of God through worship. His name's Robert Weber. So uh, thanks to Daryl and, and, and Robert Weber for a lot of this content uh, this morning. But um, Robert Weber says that God directs God's worship. He gives us an idea of what he expects from us. In a sense, he gives us a blueprint of how we are supposed to worship him. And we see this reflected in how we engage God in worship, in how our very own worships is set up every week. And, and, and they call it the fourfold order of worship. And this isn't something new to Robert Weber. This has been uh, a part of the, the body of Christ since uh, the, the, the early times, like uh, first or third century. That, that kind of early. So uh, the first part of this fourfold order, order of worship is referred to as the gathering. It always begins with God speaking. Think back to me, uh, uh, with me to Genesis 1, where God speaks and creates uh, the world. He breathes life into Adam. He makes Adam from the dust and the dirt and breathes life into his nostrils and gives him life. There is this reality of God speaking and it creates all things. And this is called the gathering. It it gathers us together. God speaks, God calls, and we, um, and he, he invites us. And uh, the second part is the word. In response to this invitation, to this gathering of God, um, you know, as David says, everything we do is a response to God and his love. We come together, and in coming together, we receive the word. And you see it in many different forms in, in our service. We do it uh, through, through actual scripture. We do it through, through songs and hymns and songs. We do it uh, through, through prayer. We do it through teaching and preaching. We even do it through acts that we're doing. Think of passing the peace. These kinds of things. We're receiving these things um, from God. The third part is, is a response, which is often taking place at the table, at the, at the altar itself, um, where God invites us to come, and then we are responding to him with our very lives. After we've received the word and the invitation, we come to him to offer our very selves. And as we know, it is also um, not only a sacrifice, but a celebration of what God has done for us through his son. And we talk about that in the communion liturgy, and we'll talk about that this morning. And then finally, the fourth in this fourfold order of worship is the sending. Uh, Having heard the voice of God come in in response to that, receive God's word, respond to that uh, with our lives as a very sacrifice itself, then being filled up, we take that out into the world to offer uh, those around us. Um, so this is the rhythm and the order of worship. Um, but one of the things that's so wonderful about God is he gives us these little microcosms of life to practice in a little safe space where we can get comfortable and good at it. And then he says, okay, now go and do likewise. Like remember when he sits down uh, with the 12 and he takes off his towel and he washes their feet and he says, now now go and love others like I have loved you. 
So this order of worship is not just for an order of worship. It's an order for our very lives as well. God calls to us. He creates us. He speaks to us in response to that call. We come to him. In coming to him, we receive him, his word, and all these gifts. In receiving these things, we respond to that call with an offer of ourselves as living sacrifice. And then we go to share that uh, with the world. One of the things that uh, worship people highlight, and it's highlighted in our liturgy uh, still to this day, is that the idea of worship is to always take it out. We're always to go and bring these things. So th- think with me for a little bit if we think about this altar that we set apart intentionally in this place of worship. It sits on a raised space. We're very intentional about what we do and do not put up. On it, Many things on the altar have symbols to the things that we believe and profess and what we believe God is, who he is, what he does, and what he has said about us. Think for me with a little bit about how we approach this altar with that reverence and that respect and that grace. Notice the different things like the Bible and the sacraments and the Christ candle and the cross that sit on top of the altar or surround it. And when we see the altar, we think of specific things. We think of the sacrifice of Christ. We think of the invitation to communion to partake of that gift that God has given us. But think with me for a little bit of what that altar looks like in a different setting. So, respectfully, if we were to clear the altar and then I was to invite you to sit down with me for lunch at the altar... How would that change some of the ways that we look at things? How would that change some of the ways that we approach that meal or those people around that meal? So, for instance, one of the things I thought of in this scenario is if we are sitting down to lunch, you and I, at this altar, I'm mindful of what I bring for the food. I'm probably not going to put a bag of McDonald's on that altar. So the food might be a little healthier. I might make it at home. I might start with a salad. I started to think of other details. I'd probably bring real silverware instead of plasticware. I'd probably bring real napkins instead of paper napkins. How I act might be a little different around that altar. I might speak a little softer. I might be a little kinder. I might invite more people because I'm aware that it's not my table. It's Christ's table. So the way we approach this altar, we are changed by it. And the place that we put that altar also changes the place. Now imagine with me now, if we were to take that altar and place it in the spot that you're going to go have lunch this afternoon. How does that change the location that you are going to dine in? How does that change the surroundings? How does that change how you interact with the people? Maybe you're more patient. Maybe you're more thankful. Maybe you're more welcoming. And go another step with me. What if we didn't think of it as a table to dine at, but we thought of it as a desk to work at? A desk where students study or a desk where we go to work every day. And you put your computer on it and you put your books on it and you serve your clients on it. 
does that change the way we think about work and what we're doing and how we spend our time and how we serve those around us? The rhythm that God gives us for worship is a, is a rhythm for in here, which is a foundational part of our lives. It's a hub where we get fed, where we get connected, where we get taught and we learn. But it's not meant to remain here. That altar is meant to be taken out into the world and given as an offering to others. You'll see in the communion liturgy that we'll read in page 14 of your hymnal in a little bit. It says, and so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. Many of you will recognize that from Romans 12. And it's this idea of us offered as a living sacrifice. See, we can take these things, these rhythms of our lives, these rhythms of Sunday morning out into the world. And we see that example in Christ as well. Robert Weber says, Worship does God's story. It reenacts the story of God. It invites us to play a part and take action and bring these things out into the world. One of Daryl's professors talks about how you always have food. He says 90% of God's instructions of what worship looks like in the Bible is centered around a meal. There's so much in Scripture about celebration, about feast. And sometimes I wonder if we lose the idea of this celebration in hearing what God has done for us in responding in joy, in celebration with one another around a feast table. We see this reality that God has done wonderful things for us. We have the invitation to come and follow him and offer our very lives as well as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice in all we do. Let us take this altar out into the world with us. In celebration of what God has done, but also offering up ourselves as that living sacrifice. Amen.